the high stuff put a question comes from Mimibip Gorky, who says, How would you guys feel if someone named their child using the Bscotch name generator? Butterscotch <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 349 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the Gaines programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the, whatever the opposite of Gaines is, programmer. I'm Sam and I don't program anything. Oh, you program hearts sure. and minds. Mm, hearts and minds. That's true. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. That's nice. This is a show real, where we talk uh, about, uh, oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> cut. Can I? Am I, am oh, I good? Uh, you talk like I mean, everything. you know, so if you're yeah. good. You yeah, just get in there. You just get to go. This is go. a show where we talk about life, business, <laughs> and working in the games industry. Today is January 27th, still 2020 You. <clears throat> Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd, of course, like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, so this is a double episode in the sense that we are recording this literally immediately after we recorded the prior one because of some scheduling things Reasons. that are happening. Uh, so given that uh, very few things have happened since <laughs> since the last episode that we recorded. I did I take a pee break. Adam so peed. That happened. And uh, I took a sip of coffee. Yeah. And yep. Sam walked into another room and came back. Yep. I got some tea. I got tea. Watch out. Mm. So dare I say, not a ton of news. Correct. So I guess question has, has occurred. So we're going to, it's just questions. We're just going to get into some questions of which we have many. Ooh. Well, we answer like many. Grammar there. I grammared the shit out of that sentence. You did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The high stuff footed question comes from Mimibip Gorky, who says, how would you guys feel? Great. If some if someone named their child using the Bscotch name generator. <laughs> <laughs> I maintained my answer. I would I, feel terribly for the child. Yes. Uh, but but great from a uh, uh, punchline sort of standpoint of like take me. Wow, we got some good ones in there though. Oh yeah, I good mean, ones. But the thing is, is it, like, are we have a Beaky Bop a Boop from there as well as Beaky Bop a Boop. The Bim Bamp Gorky's also one. Mimba Bim Gorky. I mean, if if everybody had names like this, obviously that would be great, just without a doubt. Well, if enough, I mean, they will. You know, if enough of them use it, if enough do. But if you're the one person with that name. It's true. Because if there's one thing that people are bad at, it's being nice to people that have differences from them. Right. Correct. So like kind of a universal yeah. truth. So what'll happen then is once once everybody in your, you know, third grade class is named, you know, like slap chop dingbat or whatever. <laughs> Yes. Then the one person named Steve is going to like now have they're the weirdo on their head in the cafeteria yep. because they're the weirdo now. How the tables Steve. have turned. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, so there's not the cool yeah, kids That's, club that's the core problem. Yeah. But if it wasn't for that, I'd be all over it. Be like, fuck yeah, let's get let's get mm-hmm. more names. I'm, ass- like I'm assuming that. that the last name that we generate would be your middle name. Unless yeah. you just literally just ch- change your last the whole thing. thing. So something I wonder is when you have a – kid mm-hmm. can their last name just be anything also I don't see yeah why not. you can give them like as many names as you want there's no 
there's not a limit. And there's no rules about how about how it has to adhere to the name of the parents. Well, no, I, no, not at all. And I think that's what's interesting about it because there are definitely rules enforced by like forms and stuff, right? Like there's certain character limits on input forms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which has happened on both the short and the long side for people. Yeah, which last as a side note for fellow developers out there, uh, don't make assumptions based on your own knowledge of what names look like when you're Get your shit setting together. rules because, <laughs> because that's like – it's such a classic because just – Elon Musk's child can't use your web services. But also <laughs> just like people from other cultures that you're just not familiar with, right? It's yeah, like, but it's like Elon Musk's child. You especially know. if you're like – He has his own numbers in them. Yep. Yes, yeah. they do. Well, one of them does definitely. Yep. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, and so I think there's, there's always that – uh, rub where like I think you you could just name your child whatever you please however long however many spaces mm-hmm. however many hyphens I don't know you could do whatever but the reality is that like what you write down doesn't really conform to anything there's no like input fields you know when you're popping that baby name in there but then of course yeah. when the baby needs to put their name into stuff there are input fields now all a bunch yeah. of different kinds and then they get like kind of screwed over so you know do keep that in mind yeah, I should say, yeah. Mm. And so here's the best way to handle this if you're gonna if you're making a system where people have to put their name into it, mm-hmm. is have two fields. One is just called whole your whole name, just all of it. Whatever your name is, mm-hmm. I don't care how you do it, just put the whole thing in there. Mm-hmm. And the second one is preferred name. So that's the two things. That's the two things you have. And then you don't give a shit yep. what those how those are arranged and what how they work and whatever. You just say, Cool. When I talk to you, I'll call you by the one you wanted. Yep. And for like legal or whatever purposes or other things I'm doing, I'll use the thing that you specify because presumably you know how to put it in here correctly. That's That's a good point. I think you should be able, I think we should have a new thing, which is like, I mean, to me it's weird that somebody else picks your name. I've also been thinking about this. Right? (laughs) Well, because like for starters, when you get your name, you are nobody. Don't even exist. You can't even really like, you barely have, you don't even have a personality, really. Yeah. When, yeah, you, get, you, when like you get a like a cat bones. or a dog, you name it after a personality trait or a physical trait, which you shouldn't do with mm-hmm. people. But like you name it after something that feels like they've got that yeah. vibe. But also know? dogs, they don't care. Like for them, oh, yeah. their name is like, oh, that's just like that weird sound that you make when something awesome's about to happen. Yeah. Like Other treat, dogs you know? <laughs> don't judge your dog based on the dog's name. So it's kind of a dog yeah. way they do. Certainly people yeah. judge your dog based on its name. People do, certainly. Yeah. People just can't yeah. stop themselves. So mm-hmm. like, so something when I went to, when I went to India uh, to meet my niece, she had her first birthday when I was there in 2011, I think it was. Um, and uh, she had a naming ceremony. So, mm-hmm. so prior to that, she just didn't have a name. She was just a baby. She, just uh, it's just some baby. It's just kind of here, you know? mm-hmm. uh, and then you know over time, it, it, you know it's kind of mm. like the parents kind of like are settling on like what they want the baby's name to be. So they kind of no, start to like know, you know, and they can try names out or whatever. And then there's like a ceremony where uh, somebody like whispers the name into the baby's ear, and like that oh. makes it official, you know. Um, but but then no, nothing else happens later, right? And I thought it would be kind of interesting if like maybe there are certain key moments in your life where you mm. choose a new name for yourself if you so if you so desire, right? Yeah. Because you could also maybe just be like, no, I'm keeping I'm I'm good with the one I have. Because I feel like if I got to pick a new name for myself, you know, when I turned 13, it would have been a, a bad choice, but it would have been my choice, you know? <laughs> if and it was then when I'm 25 or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, like imagine, 125, fucking, dude, again. Okay, a kindergarten classroom. Everybody gets to pick their names. Like for the just like you come in, you just say like, like Stegosaurus, exactly. laser, rocket ship, Fire get over trouble. here. You're uh, in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Like You're fucking trouble. dope. You know? And like and you just yeah. get to change with the times, you know? Like yeah, a lot of be, little kids would have some pretty awesome names. Oh my though. god, yes. If yeah, if somebody if like a parent, you know, if I met a parent's kid and I was like, Oh, what's your name? You know, the kid was like Oh, my name's my name's Laser T Rex. I'd be like, my name's Laser okay, T Rex. This yes. is my brother Jello, yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's my sister. He's only three. Yeah, yeah that's my sister's like Sprinkles. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sprinkles ice cream. That's her name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, fuck I yeah. Kind of want this, you know? Because then, like, oh, then, like, like, you know, as you get older, you could be like, do I want to be? Do I want to become boring and change my name from Sprinkles Ice Cream? To like Bob mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. or, or or am I just gonna be sprinkles and that's just that's who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I think this this already happens with usernames, right? Your sort of your mm-hmm. online persona has this aspect to it, and because the reality yeah. is with with your with your username stuff, most people choose them the first time they like kind of get an account, which typically is like somewhere between like eight and thirteen, right? For people in terms of like you got to pick a screen name, yeah, and you're picking Versus- against. Again, it's like yeah. a weird input field problem where you're also picking against, depending on the popularity of the thing that you're making an account for, mm-hmm. you have far fewer options, right? Because other people- mm-hmm. sort of Yeah, if it has so to be might, unique, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you end up with this this sort of funny circumstance where I think most people's screen names follow them around far longer than anticipated, certainly. I know mine has my original one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because well, yeah. you also can't predict the consequences of doing that, right? Because like, because I mean, in the early, early days of, I mean, because- I'm, I guess I'm elder millennial tier, I think like I'm in that kind of like mm-hmm. little zone. Right. So, so I've been through the, through the whole process of like getting aim when I was a teenager and like all that stuff. Right. And, mm-hmm. and when I went to college, like you got your college email account. That was before Gmail existed. Right. So it was like yep. my first, so I had like hotmail before that in hotmail and maybe middle school. I can't remember if it was out at that point, Could, right, but yeah, something in that range. I think um, mine was Costrafizzle. Fizzle. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why? No uh, yeah, I think I used I used a damn coster, A D A M N, right? With Frank, that was my mm-hmm. first uh, email address for Hotmail, which doesn't exist. Because you were like, hey, yeah, hey. yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Which I actually kind of I, <laughs> I still use that probably because I kind of like it. Um, it's good, yeah, good, yeah, it's, it's good. fun. Uh, and then and then at college, I got my you know my account, which was Coster A D, because their pattern was last name. That's for someone letters. else give you your name. That's mm-hmm. it, right? So just cost her at it at, at UChicago. Also doesn't exist anymore, so I'm, feel free just saying these out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so at that point, I was just given, I was basically given another name. I was given a handle, yep. cost her ad, right? And it's not that I liked it. It was just what I had. <laughs> so it was like, it was just the new thing. Sure, that was also when all the services, like Twitter came out mm-hmm. when I was like a, Facebook came out when I was a first year in college. And then Twitter came out, of, I think, when I was almost done with college, something like that. So like I set up my accounts there, you know, but it's like, oh, Costrad is apparently my online name now because I was just handed to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so now here I am today and I have this like weird combo of like I tried to shift as a professional in the in the tech space into like using my full mm-hmm. name on stuff. So now like we're and now like everywhere you well, go, again, there's like it's, a different fucking name or sometimes mm-hmm. it's my actual name. Sometimes it's just like a Costrad thing. And other times it's some old ass thing from, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. But where does the idea come from that that – being professional with your email account means just using your actual name versus like what, what is professional about oh, that? For me, it's, it's actually not even about professionals. It's about, 
It's about in the professional context, I want people to be able to know who I am when I'm like doing stuff, you know? So if I like right. put out a post, if I put out a blog post or I write an article for Gama Sutra or Games Industry or Biz or whatever, and my name is there, and then somebody's like, oh, who's this person? What else do they do? And they look for my name. Then, yeah. Then they find me in places, you know? So that's how yeah. I think of it. Cause, so th- yeah. there's a searchability thing there, but yeah. there's that thing where like, like I, for example, you know, people say that if you're going to send in a job application, you know, send it from a professional sounding email account, mm-hmm. right? Like attach. So don't, so don't have sprinkles ice cream, you know, at gmail.com or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> as your, as your email account, uh, because that's unprofessional and it, and you should instead have just, just your name or some like variation of mm-hmm. your name as your email account, because the recruiter will look at that and they'll say, well, this person is unprofessional. Look at their Gmail account handle mm-hmm. and toss it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wonder like, you, what, what does that mean? What's really going on there? Yeah, that aspect of "quote unquote" professionalism is definitely horseshit. Because well, like, there are some that come through where, and I've, I've seen some email addresses where I'm like, "This demonstrates questionable decision making." <laughs> but why? Because yes. I've, I've had the same reaction, but I, you know, I think I've been trained to think about it in those. Terms. Oh no, because usually it's something like offensive or something. Like those are the. Ones oh yeah, well, there, okay, there's but, that. Yeah, I'm not talking but, about but, like, but something something that's just like has personality to. Oh yeah, I love you that. Know? Absolutely. Well, I think, yeah. that, but the the thing you want is something that has personality, but in a way that is good. And I think the reality yeah. is that that is it's not the case that like you can just that you should or can just call yourself whatever you want, and no one will feel any sort of way about it because it does reflect. If you call yourself Sprinkles Ice Cream, for example, it does reflect a certain thing about yourself, right? Which, if you have awareness of the fact that like you do exist in the world, in a world especially in which you know others judge you a lot, then if you're doing that either, tremendous confidence, right? Incredible yeah. amount of confidence. Uh, or maybe you haven't understood how to read the room exactly when it comes to like doing this stuff, which when it comes to, I think when it comes to a professional context, what people are talking about largely there is almost like, it's almost like the ability to sort of like mesh with Being professional is creating an illusion yes. that you have been standardized. Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. Right, because I think about like if you. But the question is, how work, controllable are you, and can you demonstrate that you are very controllable by standardizing yeah, yourself? Yeah, it's the idea of becoming an interchangeable part, right? Yeah. And, that, and that even applies. You're not going to rock the boat. I think. I think it's only part of it, because yeah. I think part of it is is showing that you understand what the rules of the space are that you're operating. Which I don't think is that's not like a bad thing. Period. Versus what you guys are saying is basically like is more so about this idea of like, you know, sort of squashing individuality, which I think is happening. Yes. But like, I think the other part is just the fact like you want to, you want someone who knows how a certain space works because it's not well, up to but, you. But again, but but it's, but it's both, right? Because the it rules both, yeah. of the rules of the space are there for that reason. Right. So think yeah, about like, right. if you're a lawyer, right. And you're like, I'm going to apply to a law firm. Here's my email yep. address. Sprinkles ice cream at. 100%. Let's go with Yahoo. Ooh, <laughs> sprinkles yeah. ice cream yeah. at Yahoo. I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm sprinkles ice cream. Of course, I'm going to use Yahoo. I'm well, not going to. Yeah. Well, that's AOL. I think we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. if you AOL have like has, old timer at AOL.com as an email, fuck yeah. That's a <laughs> great email address. My bones hurt at AOL.com. <laughs> um, I'd like to work at your law firm. Uh, yeah. So like, uh, so if you apply to that, then the law firm will immediately be like, no. Right, but that doesn't have any bearing on no, but this is what your, ability, your ability to research and argue a case. Right, no, I and similarly, argue, I argue that it does have a bearing on your ability to win a case because, again, there's decorum associated. You can't ignore the fact that there's decorum associated with 
any industry, right? Of some sort. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying, though, is that, is that the decorum is there to create a standardized experience yeah, in which each person is interchangeable with each other person. Right? No, but that's what, that's what I'm arguing. Is I, I don't think the point is to make it so people are interchangeable. I think the point is to make it so that you can have standardized communication and understand what is happening. It's the same reason no. like people don't because it's because of the things that are being standardized. Because communication is no, no, no. being standardized. Because like but, so, take take the CEO example, right? If you meet someone and they're like, oh, "I'm a CEO of this company," you got a rough idea of what they do, right? If they're like, "I am the fire truck of this company," like words, they have a purpose in this context, right? So it's yeah, well, you're talking about, about we're talking about a title for different. You're talking about titles. Yeah, we're talking about yeah, title is descriptive, right? Yeah. A name is just a sound that is used to refer to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, right. Well, it is, but in the same way that, like, you both agree that, like, naming your baby Mimibimbap or whatever the mm-hmm. right would mm-hmm. not be good. It's not the case that these are just—they're not just arbitrary sounds. No, it's but not. That it's not good. It's that when that person then goes and interacts with standardizing and gatekeeping systems that try to keep it's that it's that people other out people form, then they treat them badly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. The name the name is nothing in and of itself. Yeah, it has no opinion or bearing on anything, right? Similar, right, right. Similarly but, to like, but it like doesn't if exist I, in isolation, is what I'm saying. So like, while that's true, if you're looking at it as an island, it doesn't exist as an island. So looking at it as an island seems like a weird way to look at it. You know what I mean? Well, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm not looking at it as an island. I'm just I'm just I'm just using it as an entry point to the critique of the idea that uh, of saying like there are certain standardized systems that are intended to produce a certain outcome, right? Mm-hmm. What outcome are they attempting to produce? And like, where are the lines they're drawing? Because so most, example, like a lot of professionalism, especially like, you know, preferences around names and what makes a professional, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just various kinds of racism or other kinds of discrimination, right? That's like, mm-hmm. that's literally what they're there for is to maintain that system. And that's also what a lot of standardization for is just to make sure that whatever the gatekeeping mechanisms are, that, that mean you are like us, Whatever that means, yeah. that group, right? Yeah, are true, and so that's like what a lot of that is. Um, so when I was not in, inherent to the you know the naming itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was in law school and I was arguing my like mock trial case, I got a critique from the judge. Was it a real judge who mm-hmm. I was arguing my case in front of? Uh, which was they said, well, clearly you researched the case, you knew all the relevant all the relevant case law, um, you made a great point. You know, like you, you did it, you checked all the boxes and like, but honestly, your knowledge was undercut by how casual you seemed. Yeah. It's tone policing. That's the idea. Yeah. Right? And so I was like, like, you focus not on the message and the content or whatever, but on. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Delivered. And, and they said, well, uh, you spoke in a conversational way, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is, is too casual and it, you need to. You need to be speaking in, you know, neutral, neutral tones in a way that that doesn't seem like you are being friendly or hostile either, right? Like you just say stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I was like, uh, but no, like, don't, but, but the things that. that I said were like, you, I think you this, don't, have, you don't have any. This is where I'm disagreeing with both of you, though, because the reality is that, and I wouldn't call it like tone policing is a thing, certainly, but I think you have to also recognize that. Tone is part of the communication message. So yeah, but tone policing is preferring is is not actually is discarding the message because of the tone. That's what tone yes. policing is. But right? but I, my Which point is that they're blended, right? So like so it's not the case, for example, that I could that I can come at you and tell you about some if I come at you uh, talking about say uh, a piece of feedback for your work or whatever else with two different tones, the message is different because of the tones, right? Yep. Yeah, so I don't think it's it's not an well, unreasonable thing to say like 
hey, given this context, this tone would actually be better for you to get your message across, right? Which is more or less what yeah. something like I was saying. So that's what I, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not. Yeah, yeah. No, just to be clear, I, I'm I'm definitely agreeing with with like the uh, the the analysis that you're throwing out there, which is like there these are all pre built like systems and concepts that you're slotting yourself into, right? Yes. And so, for example, if you show up at you know your new law firm, literally like literally dressed as a clown. Yes. Something, something's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Something different than if you had showed up in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because there are expectations for what it means. And like so much of those expectations really are about putting other people at ease to, to say to them like, hey, I understand, I understand what's going rules. on here. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand what you expect from me. And I'm willing to... Uh, I'm willing to adhere to the agreed upon like parameters of this social interaction, mm-hmm. right? Um, which it, which I agree, like that's that is just how it is, right? Yeah. But but I think but what's that's interesting about it, good to have all. It's not that, really right? good, but it's it also is, not it inherently like, bad. Which is what it is. is just how it is. Yeah, it's, right? just, so. it's just a fact of communication. Well, I would say that it's it's not inherently bad, just like you know conforming to a system so that you can focus on the parts that are different, right? Because that's because what confirmation is should be for is to make it easier to do something right yes uh, and and then if that is a good thing and the confirmation doesn't do damage in the process then like yeah that's like perfect that's like the outcome you want uh, I think that's a rare system that actually accomplishes both of those things at the same time with you know requiring confirmation without doing damage where the confirmation's goal is also specifically to make a problem easier to solve because you can focus on that Mm-hmm. And where it's designed for that purpose, because like, to me the example of like like a casual a casual way of speaking about something in the context of you know a court, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the like what what saying you're not allowed to do that does is it means if the way that you have been taught to speak, right, mm-hmm. doesn't like regardless of the content of the things, that yeah. You're because saying, in this case, the yeah. tone is like it's a casual tone, like that's different than being like. I'm yelling at you and saying it versus like something else, mm-hmm. right? There are all kinds of ways that you can have yeah. tone. Because right? yeah, the way that I spoke was, you know, like this, where they would say, oh, well, have you looked into, you know, how this case relates to this other thing? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I did. I checked into that. And and that's really interesting because here's how these things relate to each other, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, this reinforces this, right? Or whatever. So, like, I, you know, I talked about it as as if I was engaged with it and interested in the material and, and I believed in the things that I was saying. Right. But that's like too much, just too much of me in the words. Yeah. And you see this in science communication too. Like it's it's also, I was being, I was being taught this when I was in grad school that I was also supposed to take myself as a person out of the writing, out of the process. Right. Which I refused to do when I had control. When I was writing a paper that like, to publish, then my my uh, advisors it goes under their name, so they really get yeah, to decide. Yeah, because right? they could just tell you, no, we're not going to put mm-hmm. this right. out until you change this. So just do it. So you just have to do it, right? Yeah, but but it was it, it was simultaneous. Like while they were doing this, while they were like conform, 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 be boring as fuck, don't be a person. That was what they were doing, right? While they were doing this, we would also be being taught. Here's all like the fu- fundamental papers, like the the cool discoveries that were made and like these communications between scientists that like result in understanding. And they're just full of personality. Dripping with personality, right? <laughs> yeah. And, like, and because and, they're more interesting to read. And so of course mm-hmm. they're the ones that everybody's like, hey, 
check this out. This is thing. cool. Yeah. And, like, and, when, and those rare articles that did come out where, the, where people rejected that claim that you have to, what professional in science means is not being a person, being a robot and just reporting mm-hmm. the facts, right? The stuff that was like the most talked about that was still coming out today, right, was either a foundational huge shift because of something that people learned or someone had a spicy opinion about a thing when they just like injected mm-hmm. it and you felt it through their work, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, yeah. and that was the stuff that actually was the most compelling, the most fun to read, you know? So, so I got to control my dissertation because it was my dissertation, right? So that was where I was just like, fuck yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this the way that I want to. This mm-hmm. is like me as a person. And like my advisors loved it. They wouldn't let me like publish a paper that way. Of course. Right. <laughs> but like they really enjoyed reading it. And I got great <laughs> feedback about like how like I felt like I was so engaged with it. Like I cared about mm-hmm. this thing. I'm like, but yeah. where did we land? Like yeah. this, this is where I get back to this idea of professionalism, right? Because because yeah. this is where like I, I fully understand the idea of establishing, um, you know, cultural norms that are intended to kind of enforce a certain vibe. Right? You always so got to know what like, they're for. That's the problem, right? We yeah, always yeah, for, like, yeah, don't the pay purpose, attention right? to why. Yeah. And so, so there are things that are sort of like marked as like professional or unprofessional that actually are so tangential to what's going on. Right. So for example, and this, this is so bizarre to me, like that, that like if you sent in a resume with, you know, sprinkles ice cream at Yahoo or whatever, Mm -hmm. as you're, as you think like, wow, that's really unprofessional email address. Right. That that could get your resume thrown out. Right. But if you're on the job and then like you go out, you go out drinking with your your coworkers, mm-hmm. right? That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's not unprofessional to and, go and if in that and context, get intoxicated with your coworkers. You talk right? about your dope email address, sprinkles, whatever, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's awesome. They'd be like, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Right? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are like certain points in time and context where where things are just arbitrarily professional or unprofessional and can get something sort of like accepted or thrown out, but for different reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's just kind of like bizarre where those lines get drawn. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that's a lot of why I just like my gut reaction to professionalism is basically that it's probably bad by default is because so much of it, when you like, when you ask like, okay, what does it do when by requiring this, by expecting this, right. And, and there are things that it might be designed to do that are good and intentional, right? But what is the full extent of what it does? Because mm-hmm. the answer is almost always- It excludes it, it people who are different. Yeah. It's, it keeps somebody out because they- Because you, they you can't know, know this unless you yeah, know you this. Know right? the rules until you've been. Yeah. 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 So it keeps outsiders out is what, is what basically every component of professionalism does. And so you have to be really careful when you're designing those expectations about- what well, it's, it's and it's a way to just toss things. So, like, if if I send in an application with sprinkles ice cream at Yahoo, right? Is the person who throws my resume out going to respond and say, "Hey, listen, I checked out your resume. Everything actually looks great about it, except your email address is weird, and I don't like it. And I mm-hmm. want you to resubmit this exact application, but just with a different email address, right? N- mm-hmm. Nobody will do that. They'll yeah, just yes. throw it out, right? Yeah. So, like, I won't know. I won't know that I made a mistake. I'll just be like, man, it's really hard to get a job. I know what's going on, right? Um, because nobody's there to teach you the rules. It's like once you, you got once you're in it, you kind of observe and absorb the rules. But if you were never in it, you know, and this is also why you see like oftentimes uh, people who come from p- professional families, like who have like medical or law or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes those are generational careers mm-hmm. where like the kids will go into the same profession, et cetera. 
And uh, uh, part of that too is that they do have a much easier time just sliding right into the cultural norms of that profession because they've seen their parents operate in that way for so long. You already right? know the lingo. You already they know the lingo. They know the, the jargon. Yeah, they've heard. They've heard it all, and it just become, it comes very naturally. And it, it was something very that I I felt when I went into law school, mm. which is like um, I I didn't really know lawyers, right? And like mm. my I don't come from lawyers. And so many of the things in there were just completely alien to me, mm. like the kinds of terminology being used and the way people talked about things and how people were supposed to like present themselves and stuff. Well, it's actually, um, it's, like, it's a subculture is actually what you're talking about. It is. Yeah. 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 And there were, there were qu- quite a lot of people in my law school class who their parents were lawyers. Right. And they just, you could, they just walked around like they owned the place. Like they, they were so comfortable. Yeah. So Every, like they were, they were at home, you know? Uh, and so that is part of it, but yeah, there's not a way to av- avoid like subcultures just emerge in any context, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there's not really, a, yeah. there's not an easy way to. Yeah, to well, break but also, the mold. Just not, well, like, you don't subcultures want subcultures a bad thing to have, right? Yeah, you it's know, just a thing by that's default, there. right? It's yeah. the problem is that as they start to crystallize, they tend to, and not even intentionally necessarily, I'm sort of intentionally, but it's usually just, just a consequence stuff. is that as a subculture develops, it almost definitionally also gatekeeps entry into it because well I mean you because you have right. to have a boundary otherwise you don't have a, your own culture right well you it's not even that it's it like has to it just yeah well I mean I think we're saying the same thing I mean it must like, just in the sense it, of like it has like a boundary party. now yeah because things yeah. are different here there's a subculture mm-hmm. yeah and if and it the the more different it becomes mm-hmm. the harder entry comes from the outside on the one hand but also the more obviously other people are not part of it yes you just get more and more metrics that you can use like Oh well, you didn't know that you shouldn't use the name Sprinkles Mc Ice Cream. You didn't, you know, you didn't. Mm-hmm. You use Comic Sans, you know, like any everybody knows you don't use Comic Sans, right? I mean, yeah, obviously. Well, except for apparently the person who did. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. do you think they like, knew you're not supposed to, and then did it anyway? You know, like, no, of course mm-hmm. that's not what happened. And so that's the thing you always have to like catch yourself on is basically when you see something that breaks the rules, whatever the rules are. Right? Is that person intentionally breaking the rules? Mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah. Well, and then, and then of course, I think yeah. this, I mean, and again, like this is where I was saying, saying like, I totally agree with you where, where like these, these concepts do exist for, for, for reasons. Right. And they have consequences, Yes, which is to say that the reasons are good or bad and consequences are good or bad because there's a huge mix of things that just happens. Right. right? So because these, effect. yeah, because like these rules go down to everything. Right. Which is like, what if somebody sends you a resume that shows that they clearly don't know how to spell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, what's the job? Yeah. Right. Because are they, like, are they dyslexic? Is that the problem? Right. Do they, right. Is, is it, that, yeah. It's like, so you don't know why they don't know how to spell. And again, the assumption is just like the comic sans, like if they have a bunch of misspellings in their resume, you should assume that it's not that they knew how to spell and then just purposely didn't spell the words correctly. Mm-hmm. It's that they don't know it somehow. Right. Uh, but then you have to ask like, what does this mean? Right, because we because we have but rules so about communication. That, yeah, right? you, don't, it's you like, don't have to ask. I think that's the general. That's actually kind of what you're, what you're getting to and what the point is, which is like professionalism is the culture in which you don't have to constantly inquire about every one of these details because there is basically a which allows allows speedier. It's an expedience thing, right across the board. Yeah, it's supposed to be in terms of like yeah, if you get a resume it, that's it in tri- comic it trims has a out of, resumes, you know, yeah, or whatever. You're not is, asking. Yeah. You don't need to. You're not asking all the way down into the depths of like why a person can't spell a particular word or misplaces whatever. Like that's not yeah, it's not your 
concern because of Wait, well, yeah, the implication. I, I, I agree. I agree. Is that you can choose to not make it your concern and then still like that. And that's how the professional or, or any in group works, right? Mm-hmm. Is that things that are outside of it, you just say, okay, well, it's outside because I can tell it's outside. And you might, you're going to have a default like set of beliefs about why, right? And you're going to use those as the filter. So like if you see a misspelled thing, right? Because the question is like, you're not just going to throw it away and be like, I didn't throw away because it was misspelled. You're going to throw it away because things were misspelled, right? Yeah. Which means but you that can just, you, can you have what a that belief means to you. Exactly. So you, that means that you do have a belief about what that means about mm-hmm. that, right? And and maybe it's just that like this person didn't even bother to run spell check. And that's right? what we and usually, that's like, like, that's the usual interpretation yeah. of that, right? And yeah. Or they uh, didn't bother to look up what fonts should I use on a resume, right? Like, yeah, they didn't, they and, didn't, and, they didn't do, they didn't any do any one due of these diligence. Things, right? Yeah. For any one of these things, like that, depending on what is going on, like what the setting is, why there's a barrier to entry, all that kind of stuff, that could be a totally perfect reason to do it, to throw out that resume, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, the part where it becomes a problem is when you just have generic professionalism, right? Mm-hmm. And you have like generic HR. What HR does is like, and, and then these like generic processors that just like take resumes and, you know, throw shit out. Mm-hmm. Is as soon as you haven't asked, why do I throw it out when this happens? Then now you've gone from potentially useful uh, mechanisms to filter and find the right people. So, okay. So I have ones that just automatically kick people out for reasons that have nothing to do with like why you're mm-hmm. trying to. With know, it, with the most thing. Yeah. Yeah. So something kind of kind of wild, just to kind of like pull, tie this whole thing back together, right? Is so I went to an MBA program, um, and a ton of the focus of that program was on professionalism. Mm-hmm. It was on interviewing skills, how to present yourself, what your resume looks like, all of that. It stuff. It becomes right? how to spot a fellow MBA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically. But but the wild thing about it was there was all of this energy put into here are the standards. Like here, here's how you, here's how you dress. Here's how you speak. Here's how you hold yourself. Here's what your resume is formatted like and the structure of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then there's this one little like tidbit of information thrown in there that just completely sabotages the entire message where they would say, never, ever forget to put a personal interests section on your resume where you talk about things that you like to do Hmm. outside of work Mm -hmm. because the person reading you the resumes may share your interests and and, right. They may share your interests and that will get you the interview. So append append the parts of you that make you a person, you know, the boss on the the off takeaway I would have from that is actually that is basically saying they're saying, here's the, here is the template that you must be able to match in order to uh, to make it so they care about it enough at all. Yeah, and then so the, show that you additional piece. that you are also yeah. an MBA, basically. Yeah, yeah. Show yeah. That yeah. You know so basically, but then beyond that, you have to differentiate. Is actually yes. Yeah. So, which is not untrue in the sense that, like, it, yeah, you if everybody's taught the same way to send in your resume or whatever else, yeah, right? then they're all just then, the same. It's all the same. So you and can't. If you, and if you're also taught that that's how you have to do it, then that means when you go into there and start hiring people, then that's what you. Also yeah. expect to see, right? And so, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. My, my my wife experienced this when we when we came down to St. Louis, and she was just sending out job application after job mm-hmm. application for months and months and months, nothing. Uh, despite having a master's degree and all this mm-hmm. stuff, right? And then and then the when she finally did get her first interview, um, the person was like, "Oh yeah, so you have a master's degree? I'm not actually sure like what that is because like what her field is." He's like, yep. "But yeah, it's cool that you have a master's degree, but actually." 
I, I just wanted to meet you because I saw that you are a national Indian tennis champion. Mm-hmm. And he and he's like, I'm from India and I love tennis, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like it was like all that work, like master's degree, all that stuff. You know, it's not that it's and not, then, but I think it's what I'm saying. It's not that it's not important. It's just that it's like a sub, it's a sub, it's a templated requirement to make it so someone doesn't throw out your resume. It's the so key that, to the gate. Right? But yes. yeah, it's weird, right? But it's, 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 you still it's gotta go show it, your right? charms because, because you if you through. said, like, here's all the things that I'm capable of, yes. send that in, then you are far less likely than if you say, here's all the things that I'm capable of. Also, I like tennis. <laughs> and yeah. then they're like, you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Get over here. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of weird because I agree. Like the the standardization of yourself is you putting the other people at ease and saying like, "Look, I get I get your whole thing, and I'm willing to like do whatever I guess mm-hmm. to like to fit in with the stuff that you think needs to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And also like, here's this thing about like I'm a person. Also, mm-hmm. I've got I've got other things that I like yeah. to do too. And people are like, cool, they're a person, and then that's- cool, they're a person. I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can be people together in the office. Yeah, um, kind yeah. Of. So, all right. Well, anyway, next question. <laughs> uh, and probably last question, which is yeah. also from Mimabip Gorky, who Ooh, says, who says, what's some advice you guys got before starting out that seemed good, but oh. after, but after years of experience realized it was horrible advice. Oh, there's a lot of that, isn't there? There's, yeah. Okay. There's too much of that. Can I even oh, think, I think of a specific one? I have a, there's a, there's a beef I have, uh, not with advice, but just with the, with the trying to take advice, which is that mm-hmm. the context in which someone else has generated that piece of knowledge oh, yeah. is oftentimes so different from the one that you're in that trying to apply it uh, typically has enough error compared to what the intent is that it is not, it ends up not being good advice because you can't meaningfully translate it to your actual situation because you don't know what the fuck is happening, which is why you need a device in the first place. Yeah. And so, much like the James Webb Space Telescope, the things that they've seen come from the past. Yes. And from a different yeah. place, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And so I think the, the I don't know, I can't think of one in particular um, that like so obviously stands out, but I know that there's there are plenty of sort of what I would call misapplications of assumed like advice where on either on the management side, uh, the hiring side. Like yeah, I would say literally like, every management book. Yeah. Cause like we read, I can't even describe, we read so many of these management all, books, all hiring them. books, talk to, talk, at the time, you know, Sampy was working full-time hiring people. We talked to Sampy, got all the deets on, on how to approach hiring people, et cetera. But the thing is like, you can't separate the fact that you're translating that, whatever yeah. that static, it's not static, I guess. It's like the, the knowledge is, is not just sitting there in the sense that you can just like get it and now you have it in its pure form. It's like a, it's an interaction between the author of the text in the case of a book or whatever, and what you understand. It's that, it, it's that moment. That moment is what's creating a particular kind of knowledge. And the reality is that you're never going to, you can't quite just get it. And so I think, I think the thing that maybe I would have loved us to do was, is essentially to me, this is along the mentorship route, which is maybe have complained about, had complained about a lot in the early days, was that we were taking a bunch of advice from a bunch of different sources, but without sort of like the follow through, because there was no follow through feedback. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. there was no, no person being who we could come back to month after month where we would say, oh, we're having this problem with X or Y or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, here's some advice. 
try doing this and then we yeah. go try well, it. Well, because that person would need to know enough of our context. Yes. To be able to assist. And I think this is like, that's the key idea with, as Sam is saying, the key idea is that you, you can't transfer anything, a skill, knowledge, uh, uh, yes. things to do, not to do, whatever. You can't just transfer those from one Perfectly. context into another. It's, it's yep. never a thing you get to do. What you can do is look at that thing in its context and understand why it did or did not do the thing that it was supposed to, right? In well, that context. Then you've got to try to find well, because now you've learned comparison points something in your context. Mechanical. Like you've learned... Whatever. You've learned a truth. Sort but so, of but this, way, is, this right? is what I'm getting at. Is like, I think depending on actually where you're at, you'll look at that and you won't learn a mechanical truth, but it will seem as though you did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, what you've learned yeah, is an illusion, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it. Well, and, and, but the reason it's an illusion is because you didn't realize what assumptions you were making Correct. about the context or the, or the thing, right? And so for the most part, it's incredibly dangerous to take some lesson, something, mm-hmm. out of one context and use it in your own. Because just most things, first of all, most things in any context are already decoupled from reality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Even when they're presented as being causative. And I think the survivorship bias problem is the number one, the number one thing with this, which is anybody out there telling you, here's how we did a thing and it worked great, right? You're not seeing the stories the where the same people. thing didn't mm-hmm. with enough overlapping context, right? And most, like every lesson that you walk forward with, like, oh, here's a person who wrote this book about how to run a business, like how to, you know, make a startup, sell it to Google, right? That shit, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make a game and like have it blow up mm-hmm. on launch day and you just sell a jillion copies, right? The answer to all of those is almost always some really complex pool of things that are not reproducible yep. and they're not the thing that the person goes out and says, I did this and that's why this happened, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and even worse is if they come out and say, if you don't do X, then you're making a huge mistake, yep. mm-hmm. right? Because anytime, anytime I see that, I just think like red flag, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there are certain things that I would say like, that's probably true for, um, but they're very specific things, which is like- And those things you can find evidence for, or they're just obvious. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you can measure. It's like one of the things that's that's- always kind of like been difficult to navigate is this idea of marketing and advertising yep. and the and all the wide range yes. of of I'll be generous and call it information out there about how advertising works and etc um, because the more I look into it the more I find that I don't think advertising is real mm-hmm. um, the well, best I mean it's real and, but you mean like it doesn't have a consequence I don't think it actually does anything at all. Um, and, and I've been thinking about this from just like some practical terms, right? Which is like, for starters, advertising is often just a, a couple of companies FOMOing at each other. Mm-hmm. So like you're in a movie theater and uh, movie theater is like, hey, we're going to show something before we, you know, we're just going to show something before the movie. And we'll, we'll, whoever wants to pay us you know, we'll show you whatever you've got, right? Mm-hmm. And Coca-Cola sees that and they're like, ooh, ooh. What if, uh, what if we need to show something? Now, Coca-Cola's like, what if Pepsi bought that spot? Well, that mm-hmm. might be bad. We'll buy it, right? And then Pepsi and comes in effect, and like, wait a minute, we want that spot. So they bid it up. I will right? say this is one of the number one things that whenever advertisers approach us, including the App Store search from Apple, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. Apple started selling top spots. Selling search, search spots. When you search. Uh, and, you know, the... Google stuff that we've done in the past, 
a big part of what everybody talks about is this idea of defensive ad spend. Mm-hmm. You don't want someone say, else showing up. Yeah. yeah. But again, like, and, and I've, I've actually reached a point where, to where, because I get, we get solicitations from ad companies all the time. And I now have a, essentially a canned response to these. And I've never, ever gotten a follow-up. And the canned response is just, we would be happy to spend money on an ad campaign with your company if you can produce some data that demonstrates that it would generate a measurable return. Mm-hmm. And the conversation ends there 100% of the time, <laughs> right? And even, even, even wilder is if you think about this in a broader context, which is the promise of advertising is that it can get people in the world to know about what you're selling and care about it. Right? So if that's true, why would an ad company have to email me directly to let me know about their services? Couldn't they just advertise to me? Mm. No, because advertising isn't isn't real. But that (laughs) is doesn't work. Right? If it's going to your inbox, I mean, that's that's still can't. That's that's direct direct marketing right there. That's that's a cold call, right? But like, Mm. if... Uh, like what? One of the more recent ones. You're saying you should have known about it already. Yeah, one of the more recent ones was somebody saying like, "Hey, like uh, we have uh, we have a way to advertise to people in airports, right? And we were wondering if you guys would be willing to do an ad campaign to advertise your games to people who are like waiting in line, you know, to get on the airplane or whatever. Not a bad. Pitch. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, you know, like I was in an airport pretty recently, right? Mm-hmm. And like I didn't know about this company, and like they could have advertised to me while I was in the airport about the fact that they sell ads, but they couldn't. And even if they did, I wouldn't have seen it because <laughs> ads don't work. <laughs> they just they're, don't work. It's just the, it's always the, the, the funnel problem, right? Which is, yeah. Which is that they, they can work in part in certain contexts, but it all depends on how likely is it that people know or don't know about the thing mm-hmm. via the advertising vehicle that you have? How likely is it that you will show the people who want, who would want the thing, the thing, and they didn't already mm-hmm. know about it? Yeah. And then how much does it cost you to do that? Right. Yeah. And that collectively becomes the problem, which is like in order to get the right people, that very small subset of people who like would want the thing and could be convinced via advertising to get the thing. And who already don't have it and don't even know it's about it, right? To hit that little subset, you have to – it has to be cost-effective. It has to be cost-effective. Right? Yeah. And, and, and it's very hard to make that cost-effective in particular because the belief in advertising as a mechanism is so strong. And it's, a, strong. And it's a, yeah. such a good fucking uh, – <laughs> a charade, right? Because there isn't a way, actually, because of how all these systems work because of privacy laws or just mm-hmm. expectations and all this stuff, right? There actually is not a way – to do full attribution on an advertising campaign, as in, there's no way to know what what it did. Yeah, it's not possible because you can't. Yeah. The only way to you don't do have it is via to things a whole like, person's right. life. Right, you can do it with like yeah. A/B testing and that sort of thing, right? But in order to do that, you have to have some mechanism by which you can A/B test through advertising, right? Mm-hmm. Advertising companies can do this absolutely mm-hmm. because they they, yeah. they have the whole stack, right? But they don't. I mean, they don't tell you like how that works out, right? If they're doing the A-B testing to find out if ads work, like that's not something you're discovering. You can A-B test your own ads against each other, mm. yep. but not just like, do ads work though? You know, like that's not. Yeah. And, and this is, here's the thing. I, I, of course I'm making this declarative statement, like ads don't work, right? 
but there's, terrible advice. That's, that's, that's just, yeah, again, <laughs> that's, that's somebody giving descriptive advice. It's like, oh yeah, if you do this thing, you're dumb. Or if you don't do this thing, you're dumb, right? Uh, I fully admit that like there, there probably are contexts in which an advertising campaign can generate a return, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's uh, always context and, in which the cost of bringing in somebody who wouldn't have come in otherwise is significantly less than the value that that person brings over their lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm just talking about like in a modern context, uh, and especially as it relates to our industry, uh, I, I haven't seen anything except for maybe if you are, uh, number one, I am candy crush and I'm generating, you know, $50 per user on average. And so I will spend $30 to keep the top spot, right? Like there, there's a very specific formula for that one scenario to work well for that company, right? But that's not 99.99, whatever, repeating 9% of scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is why I'm confident to say like, you could point, you could point me to specific examples of, of advertising, doing something where you could probably attribute the advertising to some return. It's your survivorship bias. It's survivorship bias though. And I would say that, that almost guaranteed outside it's of that lost. scenario, it doesn't work. Well, right? but, right. but that's, that's actually the beauty of the system, right? Is, is that, I mean, if you're within it, um, is yeah, you that, can just, you just point to the person at the top and be like, look, it's working for yeah. them. You and should because, do it too. And and because they it. can't actually <laughs> measure attribution because it's not possible. It literally is impossible yeah. for just like technically, it's just not feasible. It's, then it's like a shell game, right? Then like just, you can just say that it worked probably because yeah. nobody can say that it didn't. Right. Because there's just no way to know actually. Yep. Because And if, if you threw away a bunch of money on an ad campaign, which to be clear, we've done. Okay. Oh, yeah. And we could tell of, it didn't work because the numbers were low enough and nothing changed. Nothing mm-hmm. changed. Right. right? And like, and again, like, sure. You could point out and be like, well, sure, that was just your case, right? Okay, well, yeah, go talk to like 10,000 other developers who do the same thing and compare results, and it's mm-hmm. going to be similar, right? Yep. Um, but, but there's also a, uh, there's a fault admission there, right? Which is like, we're not dumb. We wouldn't have just spent a bunch of money on something for no reason at all, right? And so there's that tendency to like really like scrape through you're looking, what happened. You're looking for things that indicate that it worked. Yeah, and try to find anything that can point to this idea that spending all that money might have been a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that's doubly true if you are like in the marketing division of a company. And you yeah, have I mean, to. It's your life. You have to. Yeah, and you have to tell your boss, like, yeah, we did this thing, and uh, it, you know, it was a good idea for us to have spent all that money. <laughs> so you'll find anything you can you can hold on to, right? Well, and that's and then it be, so, and then it just becomes basically a gut thing because there, even if it does work, and on the occasions where it does, since there's no way to even know that it did actually, it's just still hundred percent can't tell. Mm-hmm. Then you basically it's, it's one, it becomes one of those things where basically people are hedging their bets by saying, well. We don't. We won't be able to know if this actually worked. Well, there's no way to find mm-hmm. out. So we're just going to. We do believe it. in the power of marketing, at least enough that we're going to. That we think not doing it is riskier than the cost yes. of doing it. And that's basically where we'll end up. But yeah. as a consequence, and we can't measure either. Yeah, but well, because all people who are advertising for stuff are competing for the same sets of eyeballs or overlapping anyway with other people who are selling ads, then the cost of ads comes down to the belief in how well ads work, and therefore you need to do them. And then that drives prices up. Yep. Right. Because if two Which entities believe we have less. to do this, because <laughs> mm-hmm. if, yeah, if you believe that you have to do it in order to be successful, even though there's no 
prove that. So the more no people measure. believe in them, mm-hmm. the more pointless they are. Exactly. Because they, they cost, cost more, more, and the less likely they are to be worth and it. And we see this so happen, you know, right? Because like the early days of the internet, yeah. once they started selling ads, and that was how things got funded, like people made money, like entire websites existed. People were paid well. They had staff, like right? All off of advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. Today, no, it's not nobody, going so hot. No website that makes that runs off of advertising dollars is doing great, right? Mm-hmm. Because the value proposition of an ad has gone down to basically zero. And like, it's, yeah. it's one of those things. It's like it's if you look at that fact that companies, mm-hmm. right, like it's websites that, that talk about video games, like any of these things, right? If their business model is having ads, and you look at how well that business has been doing. Right. It's been getting continually worse because even though it's we always have, getting worse, so do yeah. ads work? Right? You know, we have like, more and more people online, more web traffic than ever, more target. data to target ads better. They they just keep doing worse and worse yeah. and worse in terms of how much people are willing to spend on them because people are starting to wise up to the fact that like, well, do this shit. might be a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you'll notice if you're on the side of like a business buying those ads, it's yeah. The cost of doing it is going up and up and up. Yeah. Right. And there's something like if you look out in the world and you see those two things happening at the same time, the cost is going up, but things that depend on advertising revenue, meaning the success of ads, right, are all failing. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like there's a message in there, you know, of like mm-hmm. maybe something's happening. Maybe this is all NFT hype bubble. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> yeah. That's NFT is just another ads, one of those. <laughs> is there a difference? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, we'll have to wrap there. Yep. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.